Today's guest is a certified personal trainer specializing in corrective exercise, senior fitness, and fitness nutrition. Her mission involves helping as many people as she can, as impactfully as she can, because she knows what it's like to feel lost, feel like you're all on your own. She's originally from Chula Vista in San Diego, California. Today's guest, happy to announce, Tori Riegler. Tori, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. This is my first podcast, so I'm sorry if I'm a little nervous or my voice sounds a little jittery. Welcome to the show. First time podcast guest, and uh, a lot a lot of my guests have been like that, so and they've all been great episodes, so I'm sure this one will be too. Uh, where are you calling in from today? Uh, today I'm calling in from Davis. I live here with my husband and three brothers. And three cats. Three cats? Well, screw the brothers. Three cats? <laughs> yeah, we had two. Josh and I got a cat when we were first married. Second one a few years later. And the third is one of my brothers. Ah, okay. So kind of uh, brought him along. Do they get, um? do the three cats, again, I don't care about the brothers. Do the three cats get along? Um, The first two do, because they've grown up together, essentially. The third one's super sassy, always trying to attack the other ones because she wants to play. So they're, they're acclimating. So the third one is younger maybe than the other two or no? About a year. Okay. So not too much of a difference. Just one's five. The other one's like three and a half, four. And then the youngest one that attacks everybody is one. She, she's oh, like me. I okay. like her. So, yeah. <laughs> she reminds you of yourself perhaps? A little bit, yeah. She ain't gonna take shit from anybody. A little sassy doesn't take shit from anyone. That sounds like Tori. That should be your cat, not your brother's cat. But anyway, three brothers, three cats. Davis uh, with Josh. He was uh, another guest of mine on a previous Mm -hmm. episode. He had a wonderful episode. Um, So Davis again is for those you don't know. Davis is like 20, 25 minutes west of Sacramento. It's a little town. It's where UC Davis is. So, and then lots of farm shit. So it's like college town and farm and agriculture and shit. Um, Mm -hmm. So then you're not originally from there because in the intro, I said Chula Vista, which is in San Diego. So, so you grew up there. Uh, What was that like? If you remember. Um, Well, I'll start by saying a whole part of the reason I live in Davis is because I went to UC Davis. And my goal out of high school was to pick a school that was as far away from where I came from as I could. So I could branch out, I could become myself, you know, get away from my family, they're kind of stuck in cycle, but still be close enough to where I could come visit the people that were closest to me, like my grandpa, my mom, and stay in touch. Uh, life in Chula Vista wasn't the greatest. Okay, not the greatest. So you wanted to get out, and UC Davis is a wonderful school, and you studied uh, exercise science, uh, corrective exercise, fitness, um, one of those. No, I actually studied psychology and philosophy. So I have two bachelor's degrees there. Um, the personal training came a few years later, kind of on my own, and those are specializations with NSAM. Right. So those are not really tied to a school. Those are credentials and certifications with independent organizations that are accredited and provide certificates that way. Got it. 
psychology, and what was the other one? Uh, philosophy. Philosophy. Okay. So uh, lots of thinking, a lot about how people think and how they behave and act. Why did you always want to do that? Like, did you like when you were a kid, you're like, oh, I'm going to be the next Plato or I'm going to be the next like Sigmund Freud, like, or no? I, I did ponder a lot and I did ask why I had a lot of questions. Um, but my primary major was psychology because I truly wanted to figure out, you know, why the people around me acted the way they did, um, why I responded the way I did, and just kind of sort out the mess that I endured growing up. Uh, yeah. So the mess you endured growing up um, and you mentioned earlier, you did want to move away from Chula Vista and get away from that mess. Uh, could you tell us, uh, start telling us a little bit about this mess and how it started? Yeah, I, uh, I grew up, pretty poor, like I'm sure a lot of people did. And Chula Vista, at least the part I lived in, is not the greatest neighborhood. A lot of people think San Diego, they think beautiful oceans, beautiful houses, and they think of places like Oceanside or Otay Ranch or Eastlake, which are these really rich, vibrant communities. Um, I grew very much up in the small city that's kind of riddled with drug users or people living paycheck to paycheck or figuring their way out. And Chula Vista is actually nestled in between San Ysidro and a place called National City. Um, National City nickname is Nasty City. Um, there's a lot of gang activity over there. And I lived with my mom, who is a single mother. Uh, my father actually lived in Iowa with his wife and his children. So it was pretty rough. Um, up until I was about five, I would say life was pretty normal, nothing too crazy. My mom was doing everything that she could, um, keeping me in line. And around that time, we had a gentleman, actually, fuck that, he's not a gentleman. We had somebody come into our life who kind of rocked everything. Um, and we ended up being taken into the foster care system. When I was six, my little brother was still a baby and my older brother was about 12 uh, because of drug use happening in the house. Um, Child Protective Services felt like the children weren't protected. And my younger brother had a skull fracture that nobody could explain. Um, there were no answers. And, it just kind of all unraveled and went to shit from there. Wow. Okay. That is a lot of mess and a lot of shit. And I see why you wanted to move away from there. So skull fracture for the younger brother. You have an older brother too. Um, and you said that was uh, about nine for you when you entered the system? Um, the first time we were taken away, I was six years old. Six. Okay. Um, and then ensued, you know, back and forth with my mom going to Narcotics Anonymous classes, parenting classes, Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, she worked her ass off for years to get us back. Um, and then the second time we went in the system, I was about 
12 going on 13 um, for different allegations and situations, but CPS kind of always checked on you and looked after you uh, because they're obvious, I'm sorry, maybe it's not obvious. There are steps, you know, like when you're living in subsidized housing like Section 8 or you're involved with caseworkers, they come in and they check on you and there are certain court mandated things that have to happen. Um, some of those things weren't happening and I would say there's a lot of domestic violence occurring um, to the point where there wasn't a door in our household. So we went in twice and by the time I was about 18, I spent about a quarter of my life in and out of the system. Wow. Wow. Okay. Damn. So what went during that time? I won't prod too much, but did you know that this wasn't normal? Like this is not how all like other kids like live, like when you went to school, this is like not all other kids experience this or was this like, did you like, Oh, everyone kind of goes through this. Do you remember what you kind of thought about it? Um, yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. Yeah. I am an open book, you know, like yeah, totally fine. Um, I'd say when I was about six, when it all started, I knew that it was abnormal, at least back then, for men to go into a restroom together, right? My mom wouldn't be home and her boyfriend at the time would go into a restroom with other men and they'd just be in there like talking, like doing other stuff and other people. And I was like, mom, they're doing something in there. And she knew immediately that drugs were involved. We're talking like crystal meth. Um, So she got on him about that. And I wouldn't say I was like snitching, but I'm a very curious kid. And I'm like, mom, these things are happening. You know, like, what is this? Um, so that kind of flew under the radar and ended up stopping until CPS got involved with the skull fracture with my little brother and then everything came undone. Um, again, when I was 12, uh, I don't know that. So there was a court ordered mandate against my mom's boyfriend living with us, right? That was one of the conditions that she got us back and she stuck to it at first. So it was just me my older brother living in the house with my mom because my little brother was still in foster care. And this man was not to live with us under any circumstances. Like if section eight came, they were checking the house and they were looking for him. And at some point, you know, that broke down, you know, my mom had feelings for him back and forth, apologies, bullshit like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And very slowly he made his way back into our lives. Um, Sitting from where I am now, I, I very much think he was a sociopath. Um, he manipulated me and my brothers into turning against my mom. Um, so the things that were happening were very normalized. You know, like if we got our ass whooped, it was normal. The arguments, they were normal. Um, I can't say there were any drugs at this time, but it was just terror was the norm in our household like I knew it was wasn't wrong but I was on the right side right because this man was taking our small little mind and be like no this is how it has to be this is how it's going to work um but I I kind of got clued in you know I'd go to school people would kind of look at me they'd see a bruise or something they get suspicious yeah Um, you know it wasn't they weren't normal 
fucking spankings or anything like that. Yeah. Um, or I'd go to school and I'd smell, I'd reek, reek of cigarette smoke. And this was in middle school, and I'm sure some of my friends probably remember it, but I remember sitting in biology class and some kid being like, God, what is that smell? And that was the first time I ever really became aware of what I smelled like or the household that I came from. Like, our walls were fucking brown. Yeah, wow. So I knew something wasn't right, but... Yeah, that's the smell you 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 were used to because that's your house. You're it, you, you're used to it being there. So then, once someone said that in class, you're like, oh, it made that there was that disconnect of like, okay, not everyone smells this way, or like, not everyone's house is is like this way. Okay, so then, wow. Okay, so then, what? Um. I was going to ask what the hardest part about all this was, but like that, it seems like all of it, but um, how did you get through it and how did you manage it? And this could be in positive or ne- ne- negative ways and how you handled this whole situation. Um, I think the hardest part about it was going to school and being the tough kid and pretending that everything was normal at home. Like I was, I was one of the smarter kids in school, right? Like not to say anybody else was unintelligent, but I was right. accepted to the gifted programs. I got invited to a private middle school that I didn't go to. Um, but just to go and not let people see what was going on at home because I didn't want them to judge me or think differently of me uh, was the hardest part. I'd say it's kind of had to grin and bear it. And this is just, this is before we even, that's how it was, you know, and I'm sure if when you have a grown ass yelling and being absolutely, they were afraid of my family. Mm-hmm. and stuff like that mm-hmm. but going into the foster care system is one of the best things that ever happened to me after the fact because it, it it sucked the entire time there was shit that should not have happened beforehand and in the foster care system but it got me away like it gained me out of that environment and gave me time to be with myself even though it was like me against the system and me against parents or whatever I got to be on my own and I got to be away from it there was more things going on there that really right so the system that it's, it's often portrayed as messed up and horrible and there's plenty I'm sure there's still plenty of issues with it and there's downsides and um, but you're saying it's one of the best things that happened because it got you away, right, from home? I'd say, like, my physical removal from my home was one of the best things that happened to me. Mm -hmm. I think the foster care system hardened me even more than I had become. Because once you went in, um, fuck, let me see. The second time we went in, 
they showed up at my grandparents' house and they took me and my younger brother, right? My older brother had already aged out, um, but the argument was, you know, just let them stay at their grandparents' house. They'll be fine. But CPS knew as soon as the argument and the shit show that was going on at home was over, we are going right back into that mess. Um, so they take you and they immediately try to place you wherever they can. And thankfully they placed us together in a foster home. Um, and I, I know there are well-intentioned foster parents out there who do it for the right reasons. Um, and maybe this foster parent was a little bit misguided, but there was a court ordered separation between me and my younger brother's father, who was my mom's then boyfriend at the time. No reason in the world that man should have ever seen me, ever had contact with me, or did anything. Uh, but he did because he paid for it, you know, which fucked me up a little bit more and it led me to not trusting people again. Um, yeah. Totally, totally understandable. And and this is when you're you're a kid, you're a teenager, your your whole life. Even when you, as you get older, you're supposed to respect elders. You're supposed to respect and listen to adults and authority figures, but they're the ones fucking you over this whole time. So it's just really hard. And so um, you have no one else but your, yourself. It seems like to rely on. That's how it and, was. It was me yeah. and my little brother against the world. And, that, and that's impossible. You're kids. You shouldn't have to deal with that. That's horrible. But you did. And you're here now. So that's incredible. You're a lovely person. So major props to you for getting through all that. Um, what was it like? Um, and aging out is at 18, right? Yeah, sometimes they can keep you longer, depending. I think they can technically keep you till you're about 21. But um, the good news about this story is, again, my mom put her nose to the grind and she worked her fucking ass off to regain custody of me and Mm -hmm. my younger brother. Um, At that point, you know, I was very skeptical of everybody, like even living in that home again, like after... Fuck, Matt. I started freshman year twice. I went to three high schools and did my freshman year. And when I came back, I was an asshole. <laughs> so when it came time to actually let me out of the group home, because um, me and my brother had actually ended up being separated and I was coming from a group home in a place called right. Spring Valley, um, I just kind of looked at my mom and it wasn't that I didn't love her or I didn't trust her. It was just I don't know that this is right for me. Like there were still no doors in the house, right? We didn't have money to buy doors or to fix shit like that. And we lived in a crappy little apartment that had fucking roach infestations and clouds were brown. And so I made an agreement with her that I would go back if I had a door and I got my own room because I wanted my own space to feel safe and do things. And she's like, Mm -hmm. well, no, your brothers, you can't do this. But she agreed. And as I started and I started painting walls and like my grandpa bought me a new door for that room. Um, only door in the house, no bathroom, no other room or the apartment, sorry. Uh, I just kind of sat there and had some of the most adult thoughts I think I'd ever had. I was like, 
know, this is great, but I think I, I can't come back to this. I just can't. Which right. broke my mom's heart. So from yeah. the time I was 16 to I graduated high school, I slept on my grandpa's couch. And he took me to school every day, but it was... I forgot what the question is. I'm sorry. I rambled. No, no. That was... <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, no, it was okay. It was better to answer than the original question anyway. Um, it was like asking what, how you, uh, if you aged out of it or how you got out of it. So, but basically you got a door at your mom's house, apartment, but then you still were like, nah, this isn't for me. And you slept at your grandpa's uh, couch and then all the way through high school. And then you applied to colleges and you knew that you uh, wanted to do psychology at UC Davis or was that, did that come after you got in? Um, Well, my whole life, everybody kind of told me and insinuated I was going to be a lawyer. Um, I definitely wanted to do psych, right? You know, Tori was the smart one. Tori was the one who was going to make it out. Tori was going to do this. Um, So I, went to UC Davis and I applied for psychology because I knew that would definitely be helpful. And you could get a degree in anything to be a lawyer. So when I first started out, I was like, all right, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm studying psychology, philosophy, and sociology. So yeah, I started taking, so I got back to Chula Vista and I lived at my grandpa's house, lived on their couch, went to high school. My first psychology course was an IB psychology course. Um, and the funniest thing about psychology courses is when you start taking them, you start seeing yourself in all of the diagnoses and all of the illnesses and you see your family members. And I was totally hooked on it. Uh, and that's what ultimately drove me to choosing psychology as my major at UC Davis. And that was the class at UC Davis or a community college class? Um, that was a class at my high school. I went to oh, oh, in high school. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got I, it. I, IB stands for like International Baccalaureate. So it's kind of like AP, um, where AP, I believe, is more in depth. I think IB is broader, or I might have those reversed. But it was, you could yeah. complete the program for college credit. And, Got it. Yeah. Okay. So you took this class, you're hooked. You did, did you immediately, and you said you started seeing yourself and your, your background and your family's. Um, history with all that Mm -hmm. did that immediately you said you got hooked but did you start uh like that solve anything or did you just want was it only like a brief intro into it and you wanted to dive deeper because you didn't have answers yet to a lot of these questions you had and a lot of the turmoil you faced growing up um I'd say that and the reception I got when I came back to Chula Vista kind of sparked my interest in it. Like I left. So like I grew up with kids until about the seventh grade. And then I got you know ripped out of my home, taken foster care system for a few years. And I came back at the very end of ninth grade. So there was like this huge lapse in time where people are, maybe they didn't wonder about me. I like to think they were like, where the fuck did Tori go? Like, what is she doing back? Um, and when I did come back, I was a very different person. Like middle school, I remember, you know, making friends. I was always chubby, but I made friends. I was always friendly with people. I wasn't really mean. Um, 
and I kept to myself when I came back. I was pretty aggressive. I had an angry look on my face most of the time. And I, not just in high school, but throughout my life, I told many lies, you know, about like visiting the Grand Canyon or going off and doing this excursion. You know, teachers ask those questions about, have you done this? Raise your hands. Like, yeah. I wanted to fit in. Yep. So I created this personality that, you know, nobody's going to mess with me. Nobody's going to fuck with me. Um, and I would say I developed like a serious need to overcompensate um, because I was lacking so much in my life. And there were people in high school who recognized this, you know, much wiser than I was at the time. And they're like, you're, you're a narcissist. And the first time anybody called me that I was like, no, I'm not. And then I went and I read it and it really hurt my feelings, but I'm really glad that he said it because it put me in check. And I'm like, I am, I, I don't care about other people's feelings right now. I'm only thinking about myself. You know, I'm being overly aggressive for no good reason. And I couldn't do anything to change it like right then and there. You don't get to flip the switch. Like it takes years to change. But it, it started this very long journey that I've been on of trying to not necessarily fix myself, but improve myself. Like I'm very vested in personal development and I have been since high school uh, graduating yeah. a lot of my friends like to say or a few of my friends are like you're really cleaning up Tori like as we actually graduated high school and I was like yeah thanks I'm trying yeah well, and it was yeah but and again this wasn't like your fault this is like the it was the environment you're putting the situations you're putting like that's how you grew up and like all this nature nurture and like awful shit so, mm-hmm. and especially as a teenager, it's hard enough being a teenager and like dealing with hormones and other awful kids, kids and teenagers are horrible, man. But, um, you're glad you got called a narcissist. That's a, that's a poll quote. It's like Tori glad she got called narcissist turns life around, but like a little dramatic, but <laughs> it, like, that it, person's going to know exactly who it is too. If they ever listen oh. to this, he's like, Yeah. I'm responsible for helping make Tori a better person. <laughs> <laughs> He's like all d- brushing his shoulders off. He's like getting applause. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's good um, to ha- like have those like tough moments um, to self-reflect and have other people's opinions. And um, this, and it was probably, like you said, it was true. Like, you're, you just you were just looking out for yourself, and that's all you knew. But and then it started to come off in other ways and actually affect other people. So mm-hmm. you've been on this journey. You go to UC Davis and start studying psychology, um, and you're continuing on this self improvement journey. How was it like living in Davis, uh, off on your own, far away from home? What was that transition like? Like going to college after your tumultuous and uh, varied living state of uh, childhood and being a teenager? Um, I'd say, I don't know precisely when it started, but I've just kind of been like, you know, it's me against the world. I'm on my own. I don't need you. I'm going to do this on my own, whether you like it or not. 
Um, and I continued that theme throughout high school. Um, I started to open a bit, open up a bit to some people who actually seemed to be compassionate and understanding and just kind of tried to be there more for people. But when I left, I just kind of cut ties. Um, all of a sudden, you know, my mom wanted me to call her every day. And I was like, why would I call you every day? You know, I've been in the system. Like, this is just me. You know, I'd even call my grandpa every day. I, I just wasn't that kind of person who like wanted attention or wanted that connection. I was just kind of doing my own thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say I've struggled with depression pretty much all throughout my life. And I would say moving to college, I cut that, cut those ties and just did what I had to do to get by. Um, I regrettably, regrettably slept through a lot of my college career. Um, I was going because it was something I had to do. These degrees were just another check mark that I had to hit. Um, and I was going to be the lawyer that everybody wanted me to be until I decided against that and just kind of did my own thing. But it was, I had friends, but I wouldn't say I was going out or I had a lot of friends. So it's just zeroing in on getting it done. Yeah. Okay. So it was a hard transition. You kind of reset though, like you said, cut ties, kind of try to, maybe establish a new self-identity and new person, new mindset, perhaps, compared to like, you're like, okay, that part of my life is that chapter is closing. I'm kind of on this new chapter of this college thing. Is that mm-hmm. is that kind of fair to say, at least? Uh, I think it's fair to say, but I wouldn't say like I went into it all woo-woo or uppity, like I can yeah. see somebody else. I'm just like, all right, nobody knows me here. Um, I'm going to take it as a ghost, see who people are, mm-hmm. and just kind of ride it from there. But unfortunately, I had a lot of <laughs> I had a lot of negative shit happen in college, too. So right after I graduated high school, my Nana passed away. Oh, um, I was actually visiting my grandpa in Iowa because the speculation was that he was going to pass away. And while I was visiting him... You know, I had just left my nana. I said, hey, I'm going to come see you tomorrow morning. Ended up running out of time. My grandpa took me to the airport. And then a day later, my cousin calls me. And he's like, hey, oh. nana died. Right? So I went into college, like, very morose and heartbroken. I'm like, you know, fuck, yeah. fuck this. Fuck everything kind of deal. Yeah. Um, I'd say probably, I want to say it's my second or third year. I don't think it was too far in. Um, I had to, oh, what's it called? Take incomplete. My grandpa, who I went to see before high school, was actually dying. And I had to go and I had to spend time with him because for me, family goes above everything. Like, I don't care how disconnected we are, how far you live. Like, if I can be there for you, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to do all I can to do it. Mm-hmm. So when it came to graduating college or figuring this out, I was just like, all right, I got to go see my grandpa. I got to go be there for him. So it was, there was still like this little cloud following me as much as I tried not to look at it that way. Um, Quick message from one of my sponsors, Anchor. Anchor is the platform I use to host my podcast on. It is so free and so easy to use. As a chronic overthinker and over-researcher, I usually over-analyze everything before making a decision. Anchor was a clear choice for me and helped my podcast get off the ground quickly. 
It'll distribute your podcast for you so your audience can listen on their favorite platform like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You do not need fancy equipment or software. You can literally record and edit podcasts within the app on your phone or computer. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership required. If you've been wanting to start your own podcast, I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. But I would say I did positively develop. The more I learned, the more compassion that I saw from my professor, um, the more I actually got to know my mom. Uh, And then I ended up meeting Josh, too, which is a huge catalyst in my change and my desire to be a better person. Oh, Josh, lovely guy. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, your, your face lit up after all that um, negativity. And then you brought, you said Josh and uh, the the flip, uh, the switch seemed flipped, uh, at least on your face. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw that, it was awesome to see. Um, where and how did you meet Josh though? Cause you're at UC Davis and he was not at UC Davis, right? No. So, silver line. So, right after I graduated, I was in high school to visit my grandpa, who we thought was dying, and uh-huh. also celebrate my graduation. Um, Josh was actually stationed at a base in 29 Palms, which is about three and a half hours away from San Diego. And he was visiting his family for 4th of July weekend before his first deployment to Afghanistan. He says he knew we were on the same flight back home because Minneapolis Minneapolis is the hub that everybody goes out of in the Midwest back to the coast. I don't think he knew we were on the same flight. And then I saw him at the baggage claim when we got back. You know, me, myself being in bad mood because my Nana had just passed away and I just kind of Something told me if I didn't go after this guy and get his number, I was going to regret it. So I went so to him Brent, all shaky and sweaty palms, and I was like, here you go. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. So you, you have no idea who he is. You're just like, that guy's cute. I'm going to go give him my number. <laughs> well, at first I was like, he's cute. I'm not going to go over to him. If he wants this, he'll come and get it. You know, my <laughs> sassy 18-year-old self. He did not come and get it. He actually is like, no way. She looks like a bitch. I do not want to get wrapped up in that. Uh, and then I lost a game of rock, paper, scissors with a girl who was sitting next to me on the plane. Yeah. Rule was I lost. I went and gave him, gave him my number. I won. I didn't have to. I lost. So. I'm very glad you lost. <laughs> I, I am think, too. I think you are too, and I think he is too. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So, okay. So you met him at the airport coming back because you lost rock, paper, scissors. Mm-hmm. That's absurd. That's amazing though. Okay. So then you give him your number and then what, like what's next? Uh, he goes off somewhere else. Then you go back to college or like what quickly kind of like what was next there? Well, I, he didn't text me for three days. That's the dumb Three days. Well, he actually almost washed my number in a pair of jeans. I'm covering uh, my and- face. No one else can see it. But that's just that just sounds like it's something Josh would do. And then we set up a date for like August, like 
just to get together. And there was just something about Josh. He like radiated this energy. And I was like, I want to impress this guy. So socially destructive, mean, abnormal Tory just kind of took a backseat and like, all right, I'm going to go get my hair done. I'm going to get my makeup done. I've got on this cute dress. All right, we're going on a date tonight. And then he didn't show up. What? <laughs> he was in and had no car. And he, he changes the friend now. It used to be one buddy who had just come back from Utah. And now it's another buddy who had come back from somewhere else. But they were like, no, I'm not driving down to San Diego tonight. And then... That was that. I actually ended up going to the club with another guy that I knew that night. And our first date did not occur for another year entirely. Wow. Did you talk in that year? Um, Well, I went back to school. Josh had stopped answering my Uh text messages and my phone just went to voicemail at times. Um, And I'm just like, dude, this guy's sitting there. Why can't he just be real about it, fucking asshole. Um, yeah. One night I'm at school and I'm like, I'm gonna stalk him. You know, I was very new to Facebook, so I was like, then I read his first post and it's like, just got to Afghanistan and snagged some stolen Wi-Fi. So hey, from Afghanistan on stolen Wi-Fi, and I was like, son of a bitch. And I messaged him. I was like, are you serious? You couldn't tell me you're going to Afghanistan? Like all angrily. Yeah. Um, And then for the next six, seven months, there's just kind of this girl who was head over heels for the sky. I didn't know. I was sending care packages and moon pies and socks and all this dumb stuff. We had a pretty tumultuous beginning. And we stopped talking. I ended up dating somebody else because, you know, things weren't working out. Yeah. And then when he came back, I was actually calling him to figure out what was going on with the Marine I was currently dating. You know, the psychology aspect of me. I was like, this guy's being really weird. He's acting crazy. Like, is he afraid to deploy? Like, what is going on here? And he's like, well, he sounds like a pussy. You should probably leave him. You know, so I was like, ha you know what? Look, I have a boyfriend. I'm asking you for advice. You know, I drew the boundaries, drew the lines. Like, Would you like to go out to dinner with us? Like, no. Like, that's not okay. <laughs> um, and then that weekend, my current boyfriend like called me. It was all crazy. Like, I was on the phone because he was panicking. Right? They do training ops before they deploy, but he was just having a rough go at it. And I answered the phone, and my grandpa asked me in the background. He's like, Tori, what do you want for dinner? And this dude on the phone, he's like, who the fuck was that? Who the fuck's that guy back there? Like, he's just maniacal. And I was like, all right, I think we're done here. I think we can agree this relationship, like mutually agree this relationship has come to an end. This is not worth pursuing anymore. He's like, oh, well, fuck you. And he hung up. And I was like, all right, slept on it. And then I called Josh the next day. And I said, you know what? I think I will take you up on that date this weekend. He's like, what? No way. And the rest is history. <laughs> then the rest is history after this yeah. absurd start to it. That's, I didn't know that. I've known you guys for a couple of years and I didn't know that. That's so movie-like. It's like, you can't make that up. 
there's a lot about my life I feel like you can't make up, but no, it's definitely the not. best part of it. Yes. So he is, you guys go on that date, you get together, you, whatever, and he gets deployed again, and then he comes back, and then you guys, did you finish, and you finish college? What's kind of like the general like timeline, timing of all this, maybe? Um, I had just started college during his first deployment. I was probably in the middle of my second year. Like, I was visiting home when we went okay. on that. Yeah. First date. And then for the about the next nine months or seven months, I wanna say, he we drove back and forth. Like Josh was driving up to UC Davis from Twenty Nine Palms almost every weekend. Wow. Um went to like his friend's wedding in Las Vegas. Uh and then one time we we're down in San Diego celebrating his birthday. Like Right before celebrating his birthday, and that's when we got engaged. His birthday, no, when we were celebrating his birthday, like a few days before, I had planned this elaborate dinner for him that he used as an opportunity to propose because I had actually found the ring a week earlier. Oh. And we both pretended that I didn't find it, but he was mad. I couldn't keep my, I have no poker face, Matt. No yeah. poker face. No, I, oh, I know that. Um. <laughs> Hard, hard on a sleeve, emotions on your face. You you know how Tori is feeling. Um, so that's oh, cool. don't agree with me. <laughs> huh? Um, but yeah, we dated for about seven months. We're engaged and we're married about a year after we started dating. A lot of people are like, oh, it happened too fast. I'm like, no, it happened just as it should have. It happened the way it should have. Exactly. And that's lovely. And then he... When did he end up moving to Davis, or what? What? When did you guys like move in together? It was like the. Um. After we got married, I went down there, lived in Twenty Nine Palms for a summer with him and a friend, before their second deployment. Mm. Um, their second deployment was, I think, end of twenty thirteen. So it was about a six. It ended up being cut short, so it was a six month deployment to Afghanistan, and he got out in. July 2014. So that's when he moved up here and we shared an apartment with about two other people. And I was continuing to go to school because I didn't graduate until 2015. Mm, okay. Got it. Got it. And then you guys have been living together since up in Davis. And all this time, Josh is awesome and lovely. And he, you said he was the catalyst for a lot of this change. What were you doing or thinking or reading or what were you doing to continue your self-development journey? And what are you doing still to this day? Is it drastically different? Were there some, some similarities? Um, let's see. I wouldn't say I was as vested in personal development as I am now. And he might hate me for saying this, but Joshua is the most empathetic and compassionate person I've ever met. Like, he will take your feelings and he's like, okay, those are your feelings. Let's talk about this. Let's work through it. Like, I had acquired so many faulty defense mechanisms, like going through my childhood, you know, young adulthood, and I was just, I could get really toxic 
now like I could do that thing where if we're talking and I want you to stop talking, I could just stab you right where it hurts and twist the knife, like mentally attack you and leave it alone. But he never ceased to call me out on my bullshit. He's like, you know what? I see that. That's not normal. That hurts. You shouldn't fucking do that. And I was like, for the first time in my life, I was like, what do you mean? It's not normal. What do you mean? I shouldn't do it. Right. And like, I was like, well, I don't want to hurt Josh. I don't want to hurt other people. And it was like years working together. Um, Very early in our marriage, when we were living in that apartment with fellow college students, we actually took over custody of my younger brother. Um, Mm. Younger brother was 16, failing out of high school, you know, all F's his sophomore year. And being a product of the system, he was struggling with like behavioral issues that followed him no matter where he went. Um, because people will tend to talk and they'll develop biases about who you are or how you act. And that turns into a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, if I believe you to be somebody mean-spirited and who always has behavioral issues, and I tell my friend and they meet you, they're going to believe the same thing about you. Um, so we sat there. You know, poor shit. You know, I'm in college. I have like a job cleaning houses. I think Josh is just starting to go to school, and we knew though the only way to help him was to do what happened with me. We had to take him, pluck him out of where he was, and give him entirely new surroundings. And if he was willing to do it, we were willing to sacrifice our marriage to do it. Um, my in-laws helped tremendously. They invited me, Josh, and my younger brother up to Michigan, and that's kind of where the conversation happened. You know, Josh and I talked about this extensively beforehand, and one day at lunch, we're talking to my little brother, and we're like, hey, you know, we just, we know you're struggling, we know it's hard, we know this shit is following you. You know, I've had firsthand experience with it, and I know a lot of his emotional reactions and his defense mechanisms. Mm -hmm. We'd like you to come and live with us if you, you know it's, it's on the table and no shit at the table my heart just like squeezed up because he looked at us kind of put his head down he looked up and he saw his eyes kind of well up he's like you know what i was asking god for help i was asking him to give me a sign and a way out and i think this is it um and thankfully my mom you know it hurt it, it, it tore her to pieces you know signing over that document because Mm-hmm. signing over that document was like an admission of her own weaknesses as a person like this and that and it's looking back then I was just like no you need to fucking sign it like you need to sign this like what are you doing I didn't have that empathy um but now I kind of commend her for it and I wish I could tell her how proud of her I was for actually doing it and giving him the chance and... mm-hmm. but yeah since then he's been living with us um moved out like a year ago for a few months and that we've acquired two additional brothers (laughs) we are we are steadily trying to ensure you know help people how we can we've actually never lived alone the entire seven years we've been married going on seven years wow that in itself is hard and incredible feat that you're sacrificing your marriage this thing you're supposed to be together just you two, and it's hard enough as it is just doing that. And here you are helping the rest of your family try to progress and have better lives. That's awesome. 
That's very selfless. That's not a testament to how selfless and caring and compassionate Josh is. Yeah. I don't know what is like. Yeah, it is. Wow. That's incredible. Damn. Um, wow. Okay. Um, so now Tori, after college, got a, uh, a few uh, certifications in corrective exercise, senior fitness, and fitness nutrition. Mm-hmm. And um, you got into lifting and uh, fitness and this uh, intense self-development over the last, at least uh, last year, year and a half, I've seen you doing uh, some people know as 75 hard. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about all of that? Do you want to know how I like got into fitness or like just last? Um, whichever you think is um, important or if you can do both, if you'd like for sure. Okay. I wouldn't say I was always like vested in fitness. Like I was always an athlete, like not a great athlete, just an average athlete in high school, did basketball, track, tennis, swim. Um, I didn't really get into fitness until, you know, Josh introduced it. Josh was very much a gym bro when we first met. And when he deployed, he wanted this program called fighter diet. So I bought it for him and he went and he did it. And then I had my P90X program in high school, which my grandpa so graciously bought for me because, you know, growing up poor, you don't eat the healthiest things. You gain a lot of weight and that has a serious effect on your self-image. Um, so while he was doing his cool gym bro programs, I was still working on P90X. Uh, let's see, my last year in college, 2015, I was getting ready to complete my last final and I had been dabbling with this woman's guide trying to learn a little bit more because Josh was deployed or was he deployed whatever I wanted to look good for Josh that was the point he pretty sure was deployed at the time I don't remember um and I'm going through it and I had just kind of started going into a gym learning about stuff uh and my dad died he actually died on Valentine's Day of 2015, and today is his birthday. It would have been his 63rd birthday. Um, so that is about the point that I locked in because there was this challenge going around, like this summer challenge where if you won, you could get something. And you know, finals aside, like after that happened, I finally pulled the trigger. I was like, I'm fucking doing this. I'm going to mm-hmm. fucking win this shit, and I'm going to go. So I took all these eBooks that she had, uh, the program had, and I kind of crafted my own plan. I didn't follow like the base one where they just give you like 1500 calories. I was like, no, I want to build muscle and burn fat. So I'm going to do this one over here, like going against all recommendations. Uh, And then I just started going, going, going. Um, And that was, for me, the only thing I really felt like I had control over. And that's kind of where it started. Like fitness for me and training is the only thing I can control in life. Like everything else kind of happens around me to me, like interacting with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I 
I actually won that challenge. It was really cool. I got to do a photo shoot and a few other things. Once that was done, I had no goals. So I kind of mm. imaginary goal of becoming a certified personal trainer, mostly because I wanted to help myself more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to continue to be an example for other people. But I really, really fell off of that. Um, ended up regaining a lot of the weight that I had. Like I did a quick sprint to lose it before the photo shoot. But after that, I just kind of went listlessly for a few months, about a year. Yeah. And then I, uh, I got introduced to Firstborn, amazing supplement company filled with amazing people who want to help change the world one person at a time. Absolutely love them. I became a legionnaire with them. Like I had this email in my inbox, which is an invitation for their program. And at that time I felt like total shit. Like why would these people want anything to do with me? Right. I barely started my Instagram. I'm fat. Like sure. I won that challenge and it looked cool, but then throwing all my self-loathing aside, I was like, ah, what have I got to lose? For some reason or other, they accepted me and they kind of helped build me back up you know they gave me the confidence and the motivation to continue to pursue what I was doing and I ended up finishing out my personal training certification with like 15 days left or something before like the program expired and I couldn't take the test or anything like Uh that because you only have a year to do it right okay um and it's just kind of been on the up and up from there I got my personal training certification on March 17th of 2017. Cool. So in mm, about 36 days, it'll be the a year from that because it'll be March 17th. But I'm, I don't know if I did that math right. Because it's now be like three years, right? No? Yeah. But yeah. in 36 days, it'll be the three years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that's cool. And then, um, was it 2017 that you guys, I met you guys at super training or 2018? Oh, I was pretty against powerlifting. Um, fuck. I want to say it was like October of 20, I don't know, 2017, 2018. Yeah. One of those. I was, I was, pretty heavy when I, when I first started going there. Um, I don't know, man. I feel like I've been there forever. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's, it seems it's been a couple of years already for sure. So, and then you've, um, I think it was 2017. Yeah. Cause I did my first meet on March 31st, 2018. Mm. Got it. Uh, that was the one in uh, Midtown? Um, I think, no, I did March Madness at CSP. Um, yeah, because it was, it was the anniversary yeah, of my mom's passing. And it was very oh, important yeah. for me to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I've been around SC for a little while. I'm an OG yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. OG now. Yeah, a lot of people have come and gone through the last couple of years. Um, so, and then, um, do you want to briefly talk about 75 hard? Um, it seems like it's been a pretty formative or re igniting, um, the last year or so, 
um, at least from what I what I can tell. Yeah, um, something I lacked my entire life was structure. Right, it wasn't always entirely sure where food was going to come from. wasn't entirely sure if I'd close go to school. wasn't sure if I'd be in the same household for more than like a few months at a time. Um, and something I've always craved my entire life was structure, but I've never knew how to develop it at all. And it's, I can do it at work because I have to do it for work. But when it comes to me, just like I, I struggle, and it's something I still struggle with to this day. Um, so Andy Frisella is the CEO of First Form, and he started 75 Hard about a year ago, I think last January, February. Mm-hmm. Um, and 75 Hard is a 75-day boot camp to a program called Live Hard, which ends up being four distinct parts. You have 75 Hard, Phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3. And the goal is to build up your self-confidence, your grit, your self-esteem, your discipline, your fortitude, everything that you need to go out and dominate life. Like for me, I'm like, well, I already have these things, but they could definitely use a little bit of um because I'm obviously not disciplined enough to get my life together at home. Like I'm waking up late for work or I'm just running and I'm just coasting through life and I never felt like yeah. I was ever even scratching the surface of my potential. Uh, so I decided I was going to do 75 hard and I was going to commit to it. It took me about, about a month, a month and a few weeks to actually commit to it after it came out. Cause I was scared. Like, yeah, I yeah. can do that, but that's a big commitment. Like I don't want to fail and let myself down. Like I don't want to feel like shit. Mm-hmm. And then I finally committed on March 20th. Like, all right, I'm going all in. I failed a week later because I was being absent-minded and I wasn't paying attention. And I took a sip, I work at a winery. Um, and sometimes we have bottles that are defective. And there was a bottle on the back that said, you know, this wine is bad. So I smelled it. It's like, no, it's not bad. And then one of the rules is no alcohol. So it's follow a diet plan, no cheat meals or no alcohol, um, do two workouts a day, one has to be outdoors and both workouts must be at least 45 minutes. Um, take a progress picture every day and you drink a gallon of water every day. So five tasks, right? You can please them every day without fail. If you screw up once and you're done for, you have to restart mm-hmm. at day one. Day seven, my dumb self was like, no, this wine doesn't smell bad and I'm going to prove it. So I tasted it and I drank it and I knew right then and there it was over. You're like, I no. I cried. I was only a week, yeah. but this was yeah. important to me. Yeah. Um, knocked it on the second go, and my God, the mental transformation I've gone through, like how I feel about myself, how I feel about my capabilities, how I feel about other people, and like where I can go, it's, it's absolutely indescribable. Like It is hands down the greatest opportunity I've ever had the privilege of doing in my life. And it was totally free. Yeah. And it was just, it was you versus yourself. It exactly. wasn't, it was no, there's nothing else. And so myself included, I am the worst. I am the biggest opponent myself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have this problem too. Like we get in our own ways. So my understanding, it seems like 75 hard pits yourself against yourself. is like, 
if you really want something, here's the plan how you can increase structure, increase accountability, increase mental fortitude and this mentality and just go after what you really freaking want in life. Like exactly. you wanted to, yeah, you wanted to like get back in shape and like get, be better. And you said you didn't even feel like you scratched your potential yet at the time. And you probably still feel that way a year later. You're like, okay, now I have the framework. I have the tools. Now I can really just keep going. Exactly. And the point is, like, you have everything you need within you to do 75 hard. You have all those things. They just all operate on a spectrum. So 75 hard takes that spectrum and it's like, all right, turn this dial all the way up, turn this dial all the way up, turn this dial all the way up. And once you do it, there is no going back. And that's kind of the dark secret of 75 hard that not very many people talk about it. Like once you've completed that and you move on to phase one or phase two, like you know what you're capable of. You know you're a total badass. You've got what it takes. So the second you start to slip off, that voice in your head gets bothered. It's like, what are you doing? All of those lies you told yourself for years about not being strong enough, not being smart enough, or being incapable of doing these things, they're bullshit. Mm-hmm. Take a look at the past 75 days. Obviously, get back on your stuff. Yeah. Um, I made it all the way to phase two. I actually recently failed <laughs> a few days ago. So I just restarted 75 hard and I'm on like day five. Um, but phase two is a 30 day phase and it's essentially a repeat of 75 hard, picking back up where you left off. And I failed because I forgot to take a progress picture. And every night, I actually have it on my screensaver, which I can show you, but you can't see. Every night before I go to bed, um, I check these rules. And I'm like, all right, drink a gallon, take a progress picture, this and that. Um, And that night, I stayed up until about 12 a.m. getting everything done. Uh I read, I finished my gallon of water, you know, peeing before I go to bed and stuff. And then I didn't look at my list and I went to bed. I was like, all right, I'm good. Anytime I've ever thought I'm good, I'm not good. It's when you yeah. think you're not good that you are good. Uh, so I lost and was in, unable to finish that while starting phase three on time because phase three starts 30 years from the or 30 days, sorry, not 30 years, <laughs> 30 days from your year to date of initially beginning 75 hearts. So I kind of mm-hmm. nullified an entire year's worth of work, not to say a nullified year's worth of progress, but I don't get to complete the program. Um, so right. I immediately restarted it because I know I can do it. Gotta- you know you can do it. You've done it before. You want to prove it to yourself and you want to like complete it and get back to that point. Yes. Any reason I failed any part of 75 hard was due to being absent-minded. Right. Or thinking that I had things taken care of. So I guess you could say in a sense, cockiness and cockiness has never mm-hmm. served me well my entire life. So that was my huge focus this time is putting more effort and energy into what I'm doing, paying attention and being present in every moment yeah. of my life of the program and what I'm doing outside of it. Totally. Absent mindedness. Um, juggling things and like multitasking there's it's so easy to pretend we can do it with all this technology now but mm-hmm. we we humans didn't just magically change in the last 
couple decades. Like we cannot multitask. Like that's a myth. Like we're totally just agree. switching very, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we are switching very quickly between two things. We're not actually doing two things at once. And so you lose your focus. Or you go on autopilot. Um, when yeah. you're driving and you're talking on the phone, there's actually a different part of your brain that activates when you're talking on the phone. And it's totally separate from what you're doing. So you're autopiloting and driving and that's why it doesn't matter if you have a hands-free device, mm-hmm. car accidents are still very prevalent. Right, right. That's there. crazy. So, yeah. And now we have all the notifications on smartphones from a million different apps and emails and work. We're always connected. We're never off the clock and it's a whole mess of things. But um, absent-mindedness is, um, I'm, not, I'm not glad you failed, but um, I'm glad you're able to pinpoint why you did so you knew what to focus on this next time. And so it's been awesome watching you transform again and this past year, you've changed. Uh, you're just, you just seem happier and stronger. And it's just been really cool to watch um, from kind of afar as your friend. Um, uh, anything else you want to say about anything we've discussed that we didn't get to? You want to make sure we share before we move on to the next segment? Um, yeah, I guess I just want to kind of flesh out that point on absent-mindedness a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, because I think it's a byproduct of everything that has happened in my past and my default mode of where, all right, I'm doing this and I'm not consciously, you know, reflecting on what's going on, uh, whether that's being grateful or taking stock of what happened in the day or anything like that. I've just kind of been like, go, 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 like point A, point B, point C. And while Mm -hmm. I do exercise more intent when I, complete 75 hard and I think about why I'm doing what I'm doing and how there are people who don't get the opportunity to do this. I still have that subconscious autopilot on where I'm just like, of course, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this. This is just another thing that Tori does. And I think that's why I failed and I continue to fail. So just be aware of what you have operating in the background from your past life. Yeah, definitely. I think that's an awesome point to, wrap up on um and moving on to um that one thing uh some a lot of listeners are familiar with this i ask all my guests this tori if you're able to talk to everyone in the world all seven billion people however many there are now no language barrier it's all good they can understand you mm-hmm. it's a video it's a message it's a picture whatever it is the method of communication what would you tell them and why I guess it would be something I inadvertently learned from my mom, looking back at her life, looking back at mine and being more compassionate. Um, And it would be that you can do and be anything that you choose to be in life, no matter the circumstance. But make no mistake, you're the person who's making those choices. Brilliant. Simple, easy to understand. I love it. Tori. Thanks so much for your time today. Where the hell can people find you at? And what do you want to plug, send people to, to talk to you or stuff to check out? Um, well, right now I am working on a website and a Facebook page. Um, you can find me at www.healthymusclehustle.com or search for Healthy Muscle Hustle on Facebook. Um, I'm trying to create an educational resource that is free that people can visit and learn more about health and fitness. Um, my most public page is at 
the buff pear because uh, I'm pear shaped. I'm getting buff uh, on Instagram. <laughs> awesome. At the buff pair that will be linked in the show notes and in the Instagram post, like all of my other guests, they'll you'll be able to find and tell Tori how fucking awesome this episode is, how wonderful she is. She has gone through a lot of shit, and uh, I'm very glad I know her, and she makes my life better. And uh, when I spend time with her, when I spend time with her, I am more energized and happier. So. Uh, Just thank you again for your time and being so vulnerable and open. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Relatively Vulnerable Podcast. If you haven't already, I'd love and appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out a lot in terms of growing the listenership. If you want to take it a step further, you can throw a few bucks towards the podcast and donate at anchor.fm slash relatively vulnerable and click the support button. I always love hearing your feedback and support, so if you post or share about the podcast, please tag me at MattLadyDigital on Twitter or Instagram. Thanks, and have an awesome day.